This is the David Cassidy Connections Podcast with your host, Louise Poynton. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of the David Cassidy Connections, your podcast all about David, his fans, his music, the friendships people have because of him, plus the respect those friendships and his achievements meant to so many. I am Louise Poynton, and my special guest today is Richie Furet, a pioneer of California country rock. His work was a major influence on the Eagles. He started Buffalo Springfield with Neil Young and Stephen Stills, later forming Poco, two bands which had a major influence on David's love of music. He later formed the Souther Hillman Furet Band and explains where his writing inspiration comes from, how Richie Nelson influenced his career path and why he feels Poco never got the recognition they deserved. He recalls how he met David Cassidy who he considers creative, talented and hugely underrated. He invited David to sing backing harmonies on three tracks on his Dance a Little Light album, Yesterday's Gone, Stand Your Guard and Your Friends. He talks about their friendship and his own composition for Someone I Love, which David reworked as Love in Bloom. We talk about how he calls on his faith at difficult times in his life. We recently caught up after Father's Day when I asked him how much he had been spoiled. Hello. Hello. Nice to see you. How are you? Nice to see you too. Did you get spoiled yesterday, Richie? Uh, Yeah, the whole family took, well, and actually there's uh, um, not only myself, but we have, you know, I have four daughters, and so I have three son-in-laws, and they're all fathers, and so we all just gathered together and just had a wonderful, wonderful day, yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. What did you do to... Well, I mean, yesterday, all we really did was we went out to dinner after church, and now we've got, uh, we're planned on going out and, and doing some events here the next week. Uh, one of my daughters had to travel back to St. Louis today and yeah. her, with her husband, and so another one's going to Nashville next week, and so we're waiting to get all that done, then we'll, then we'll gather together again and, uh, and, and have a little Father's Day gathering for the fathers. It's so good to see you. Thank you so much for, for joining me. I'm sorry. I've kind of dawdled on things. and <laughs> I guess there's a perfect timing for everything, but uh, yes. uh, the book's doing really well, huh? It is. I've been so pleased. I mean, the response oh, that is so wonderful. Yeah. The response wow. people has been amazing. And so much work you put into it. My goodness. It's just wonderful. Wonderful. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. I so enjoyed doing it. And thank you for the piece which you contributed because so many people have said that was my favorite part because, <laughs> because you were someone who knew David. Yeah. Um, it matters to a lot of people because I think a lot of them are still on this journey. Uh-huh. They're still trying to figure out why he died and they're looking for closure. And I think that the book and stories from people like yourself help with that grieving process. Well, I, I sure hope so. I know David was, he, he was troubled. There was no doubt about it. Mm. And, um, you know, I think he, he saw himself in one light and, and the, the things that he was trying to do and to accomplish, uh, you know, he was still under the control of this umbrella that saw him as someone else. And, and I think that was such a, a tragic, uh, um, you know, part of his life that he just couldn't get out from under. You know, I, w- I was just thinking, um, you know, before I called uh, or got on Zoom, this Zoom stuff is crazy, isn't it? <laughs> <When> <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> 
you are sitting clear across the the world and here we are talking it's so so neat but um yeah, you know, I was was thinking. Yeah, David and I had our moment, and it was a very it was a very small, uh, you know, time when uh, my wife Nancy's good friend Jane, but she was his housekeeper for a long time, or for quite a while, and she was one of Nancy's uh, dear friends, and that's how our connection with him happened. And so, yes, we did. We we, we spent a lot of time. But then I was remembering when I went uh, back to New York once on a on a visit, and he was doing the coat of many colors. And, you know, I got in touch with him. And actually, at the end of the day, when I saw him, it was almost like he was another person. You know, so I mean, it was, it, it was, it, I didn't, it was okay. I realized, you know, there's a lot of people that are always trying to grab him and we hadn't seen each other for maybe, you know, it had been a, it had been a while since we had seen him, but it was like, you know, we, I, I won't say it was, it wasn't like we didn't know each other, but it was very casual and boom, boom. You know, yes. where yes. we hung out a lot. <laughs> yes, yes. In that very short little window of time. When you saw him at probably his most creative, it was in the mid mid seventies when you when you first met him. Um, yes, it was. It was yes, it definitely was the mid seventies. Uh huh. Yeah. I just wondered if you probably found him at a time when he was still looking to break away from that image. Yes. Uh huh be seen and, and, and that, that definitely was it he yeah that that's that was definitely the time and i think he was still very uh encouraged and 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 really felt that he had um you know um all all the little things lined up that would help him you know to move forward in what he wanted to do but he still had that i won't say a noose around his neck well <laughs> but, yeah, it basically was holding, holding him back. But he was still encouraged enough at that point in time. I mean, we, you know, singing on records together and 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 uh, um, you know, just hanging out and and doing things. He he was he was he was excited at that time. Yet there was still that thing holding holding on to him that he, uh, you know, I mean, he couldn't couldn't really shake. Was it almost as though if he changed his musical direction too dramatically people wouldn't love him ah golly i i, I don't know because uh, i mean his his music wasn't that radical you know of, of a change it was uh, you know we were all kind of involved in pop music and 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 all and, and uh so i mean it wasn't like he was jumping from uh, bluegrass to jazz <laughs> you know it wasn't it wasn't you know it wasn't a radical change so i i, I don't know when you first met him what were the events leading up to that first meeting? Was it at his house? Was it in the recording studio? Was it at your house? Can you recall how you first got together? You know, I can't. I, I yeah, that's really. I mean, I can't. I can't make something up. I just. I don't. I don't remember. All I know is that Jane was the. She was. She. She was the. The. The, the conduit. You know, and uh, I don't know whether we had uh, gotten together at his house at one time or if. Uh, uh, he came by the studio when I was recording, uh, and it, it just moved from there. I, I you know, Louise, I can't, I, I really don't remember. It just, yeah. all of a sudden, I can remember seeing, I mean, I can, I can remember 
you know, being in his house. I can remember hanging out. I can remember feeling very, we've, it was very comfortable. You know, I felt there was no pressure coming from either one of us. You know, I was there as a, as a friend and a fellow musician and, uh, you know, someone who respected, you know, what he had done and what he wanted to do and was just trying to, to, to be a friend. And obviously he felt the same as he performed and sang on, you know, several of my songs and records and, uh, um, it was it was good, but I don't remember how it all. Um, you know, my wife's better at this than I am. <laughs> I short I short circuit a lot. <laughs> um, I was going to come back to everything about David a, a little bit later because I wanted to talk to you about how busy you are. Mm. These, these oh my days. goodness! And I can I, I know you're in your mid seventies now. What are you 70? <laughs> 77. Yep. No way. <laughs> no, uh, those, those numbers don't compute. <laughs> I found an old cutting uh, when I was looking through some old newspapers I was filing away recently. And I came across a quote from Mick Jagger in the late 60s where he said, I can't see us doing this much beyond the age of 30. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just had that in mind, you know. <laughs> I, you know what music is in your life or your blood, whatever, you know, I mean, you just keep doing it because there was a, there was a 10 year hiatus that I kind of dropped out of music completely altogether. Yeah. Um, you know, it was, it was something that I was, uh, my wife and I had been married for seven years and separated for seven months. And it was like, it was my, my whole focus shifted from music to family at that point in time. You know, I wanted to put my family back together and then music just kind of trickled uh, back into it. And, and that's when I recorded a bunch of my, uh, my, my solo recordings. Um, and while never really pursuing heartily a, another career, you know, as far as a music career, it was just, I had the opportunity to put music out. And so uh, I, I would continue to write songs. And that's what I've done probably, you know, right up until, uh, you know, just about three or four years ago that um, I, I, you know, some of the music that's coming out now and some of the things that are coming out now, hang on one second. Um, Nancy, do you remember how we met David? How it, I mean, I know it was through Jane, but do you remember how, how, how David Cassidy, do you remember how we, uh, how it all started? Do you, nope, she's shaking her head no too. So both <laughs> of us are just kind of oblivious. We're just kind of, a, huh? <laughs> Well, it was through Jane, but I don't remember how it was. Anyway, I just thought maybe she would have a, a connection. But, uh, you know, we recorded the uh, the double uh, delivering uh, project that I did clear back in 2018. And it took us this long to get it out because it, it was released uh, officially in April. It's a double uh, CD and then a DVD that also came out. And um, then in 2019... Uh, in November of 2019, I went to Nashville with my friend Val Gray, and we recorded uh, this compilation of country hits. And it, 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 it's had all kinds of different release dates as BMG <laughs> is going to release it. But um, the most recent one um, I had heard was, well, we're going to release it in uh, November. And then all of a sudden, after the COVID door came wide open and, and everybody's free to do now, I guess mm -hmm. everybody who's anybody has been recording and waiting to get some projects. So everything now is coming out in November. And so they said, let's wait 
and put it out in the spring of 2022 so that we don't get caught in the uh, right. in the hoopla. So I mean, it's like, oh my goodness, all this is just, uh, you know, it, it just drags on and on and on and on. But who knows, it'll, it'll, it'll I guess, like I said, everything has the right timing. And then I have a documentary that my, yeah. uh, my manager, David Stone, um, and his partner, Denny Klein, have um, have been working on and it too is ready to I mean it's it's in the process now of of coming out uh, next year as well Cameron Crowe did the uh, trailer and uh, you know my last conversation with with him uh, was that he said let's see how I can be involved in in the project as it as it finishes up now so that'd be really nice to have him as a part of um, of that project but yeah I'm as busy as can be I can't <laughs> believe it you know I mean it's fine I and it, it's okay yeah. Uh, but um, it's it's like uh, <laughs> goodness sakes. Here I am, and uh, at the end of the day, here we are, man. We're ready to roll. <laughs> <laughs> Old rockers never die, you know. Oh my goodness sakes! And I enjoy it, you know. I mean, I, I've been, you know, I've been creative. Uh, David, interestingly, uh, for part of the uh, documentary. Uh, you know, put out this request, hey, Richie will write you a song if you'll donate to the to the project. Well, I said, David, this isn't like turning on a light switch, you know, and just here I am, you know, I'm, I'll just write a song. I, I've just never been that way. But um, this one friend of ours, actually, um, and very good friend, made a, a contribution. And he said, I don't want you to write the song for me. I want you to write it for this other special person that, mm -hmm. that comes to the concerts. And so one day, bingo, there it was. So I, I wrote that song. Now it's it's kind of like um, we're, we're thinking about, I mean, we're gonna be doing a concert in SOPAC back in South Orange, New Jersey uh, in November. And I'm gonna present that song to this particular person at that time, because they don't know, they don't know a thing about it yet. Wow. And uh, it's it's pretty uh, it, it's it's pretty it's, it was pretty neat, and I think the song came out ter terrifically. And then uh, just a while back, I, I wrote another song called "America, America," and it's just about uh, you know how I'm viewing you know the things that have been going on in the all the, it's craziness in in America at this point in time, and part of it was through the uh, you know the whole COVID situation, but our political scene is just turned upside down and. And, um, you know, it's just crazy. So I, I wrote that, actually performed it on the Mike Huckabee show in January. Uh, so I, I just keep I just keep writing because it's just something that's in your blood, you know, and you just, uh, you know, I don't sit down and say, OK, today is my three hour songwriting time. You know, it's just like, OK, I'm in the shower. Oh, I got this idea and I'm running off and I'm going to see if I can make it work. And yeah, so, that's right. but it's, it's, it's exciting. Where does the inspiration come from? Because I do remember uh, reading some time back that one of your first inspirations was a was when you were at school and your first girlfriend inspired you to write. I I, I did a little song. Maybe that's where my little love songs came about. You know, because <laughs> I've been always I've always been. I won't say classified as, but a love songwriter. And I think just in, in the past, uh, I, I think, let's say they're more of a passion, you know, when I just see what's going on, you know, in the world today, um, you know, I, th I think it's just a passion. So that's what inspires me. Uh, um, you know, I, I obviously my wife has inspired so many of my songs um, and, and all, but um, it's, it's just a, a passionate thing. And I, I don't, I can't remember the last time I just sat down and, but I'm, okay, I'm going to write a song today. 
you know, uh, it, it just, there's something, it just comes in my mind. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, um, you know, I'd be out walking on our road out here, you know, which we're way, we're away from the city. And, uh, and, you know, you just, your mind's just kind of cleared. And all of a sudden, you know, you're thinking about various things. And the next thing you know, maybe you get a little melody in your head. And, and then all of a sudden, there's, a, there's a, a lyrical thought that goes along with that, then you rush back to the house so that you don't forget, you know, and, yeah. and, and put it down. But, um, you know, I, I'm a, I don't know, maybe a strange songwriter. I don't know how it is. Because some people just, you know, I mean, like Carol King and Jerry Goffin, you know, they had to go sit in a room in New York City and write songs. Yeah. We're going to go in and write songs today. Oh, well, wow, good for you. I wish I could do that. And of course, there are some songwriters, it takes them years to finish a song. On my last project <laughs> that I did called Hand in Hand, I had guitar riffs or little... Um, uh, you know, snippets of, 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 uh, of an idea, um, a lyrical idea. And I literally had one that I had probably, it was probably 30 years old, that it was like a little guitar riff. And I, I uh, wrote a song. <laughs> it was right after 9-11 that I wrote this song. And it was a tragic time in, in our history, too. I didn't know where in the world this little thing was ever going to fit in any song. And all of a sudden it became the intro to this song, Don't Tread on Me. But I had two or three songs like that that I just had ideas for. And they, they were like 10 years down the road uh, mm. that popped in. But this was a very old one. It was just a little guitar riff, which it was like crazy. I didn't even know. I mean, it's like, where did that ever come from in my mind, you know? And mm. all of a sudden, when I was writing this song, oh, this is the beginning of that song. And it's like 25, 30 years old, you know? It's like, my goodness. I just couldn't find a place to put it. And you just think, well, you'd have forgotten it by then. <laughs> but that is divine intervention. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, that's the way I, I would look at it. Yeah. You mentioned your country classics. What type of songs can we expect on that? Because didn't you record Lonesome Town? I did record Lonesome Town. Because um, yeah, Ricky Nelson had a big influence on my life. I mean, when I was a, a little, um, you know, well, he wasn't that much older than me. Uh, but um, I remember just watching the Ozzie and Harriet show. And the one instance that really got me was when he was singing over a baby crib, Bebop Baby. And then at the last verse, he's at the high school gym auditorium singing the last verse with his whole band and everything. And it's like, you know, I want to do this, you know, if he can do it, I can do it too. I thought, you know, well, little did I know he was in such a, a, a show business family, you know, but uh, he, he had such an influence. So doing Lonesome Town, I was trying to pick the right song um, to do. And uh, Lonesome Town just seemed to be, um, uh, to, to be the, the perfect one for me. Now, most of the songs that I did were not they didn't go way back to the 50s. So they weren't like the Porter Wagner and, and uh, they were more of the contemporary uh, songs. When Val Gray actually came to me and said, would you like to do this project? Now, Val recorded my I Still Have Dreams album. I don't know if you know who Val is. Yes. yes. Yeah. Um, and so and we've been friends since Buffalo Springfield days. I mean, he was he was in a group out there. And also then his partner, who helped uh, finance the um, uh, the project was actually the guy that introduced me to Nancy. 
years ago and for so i mean there's a whole connection with this but you know everybody's off in their own little worlds and i live out here in colorado away from everything but but when val came to a i, I was doing a benefit for um autism in California, he and, and and Michael and another friend, an old road manager at Buffalo Springfield came, and that's when they presented the project. And I said, well, let's think about it. What what kind of songs are you thinking? And, and you know, where, where's, are we gonna be on the same page with this? So he said, well, we'll write out a few songs and you write out a few songs and I'll have Michael send a few songs, we'll see. Well, Val's number one song, and a song that I had wanted to record for I can't tell you how many years was on both of us were like the number one song. And it was a song by John Barry called Your Love Amazes Me. Right. And uh, yeah. you know the song? Yeah, I do. And, and uh, so I thought, well, right then we can get we can do something now. John actually came in and he sang on the project, which is really cool. That's wicked. so. Uh, and I'd never met him. Uh, and, and all, but when we uh, started to do the song, we reached out. So I've got, uh, I'll list off a few of the songs that we did. We did um, I'm Already There by Lone Star. Uh, we did uh, Walking in Memphis, Mark Cohen song. Uh, we did uh, Somebody Like You, Keith Urban. We did The River, um, uh, Garth Brooks song. We did I Hope You Dance, the Leanne Womack uh, song. I, I tell you, Louise, this is like when I listened to it, and I, I have to tell you this little bit too. Uh, I had some, uh, you know, some rough recordings of it, and I went down and, and did a little birthday party for a friend of mine down south, and um, they're big country fans, big country music fans, and I and I said, hey, I want you to come out to to my car because. <laughs> They didn't have a place to play the CD in there. And I said, listen to this and said, I want to know if when you hear these songs being so familiar with the artists that actually made them hits, is, is this something that distracts you when you hear, you know, my version? Because we didn't do karaoke. I mean, we, we, we made them our own songs. I mean, you know that you're listening to, uh, you know, Walking in Memphis, but you're not hearing the piano. You're hearing a guitar riff yeah. the, the, the part. And I tell you, they went crazy in the car. And so when when you listen to this, it's like listening to just a compilation of greatest hits. And it's like, I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm knocked out with it. Val really did a wonderful job. I sang probably 95% of it live in the studio um, with the band as we were recording in Nashville. Of course, there's tweaking. There's tweaking in everything. Yeah, Don't if I tell you, you know, unless, unless you're a Pavarotti or somody, you know, you go in and you... you know, <laughs> You just sing through the thing and you don't have any miscues. No, that's not me. It's so, see, how old was I then? I guess I was 75 when I did this. And, uh, so, uh, but to get 95% of it to where, you know, they just had a little tweak here or there, you know, and, and had the, had the vocals. It's, uh, it's pretty amazing. And I'll tell you what, it just blows me away. I mean, it's, it's really, it's really great. So th those were, those are some of the songs um, that we did. Uh, I'm trying to think if there was another special one on there that, oh, there's a song by uh, Buddy Miller that I had also wanted to record. And actually his wife, Julie, wrote it called Written in Chalk. And we uh, we did that. And it, it's so fun to be able to be in a studio where you have gathered musicians. And some of these guys came to me and said, you know, I played on the original of this. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I love it. <laughs> you know, it was pretty cool. 
but <laughs> but just to be in there with such great musicians that you're so confident that they're i mean you know they they run a song down two or three times and that's it you know they're pat i mean once they do so you know you do what you can do to help and there's nothing like singing a song when the when the when the track is going down there's so much um energy and it's just different than when you go into overdub a vocal when you're just okay i got the earphones on now no it's when that when everybody's out there just pumping to you and we're all on the same page going it's just oh it's so cool it, it's going to be a, a fun project called richie Fure in the country you sound as though this is probably one of the best things you've ever done uh, without a doubt, you know, but you know what? I think that about every project, <laughs> they, they come out so far and in few and in between, you know, like this is the best project I've ever done, but this, this certainly is, uh, just, uh, it, it's, it's a fantastic project and I'm so glad that uh, Val came and asked me to do it. And now they're trying to say, let's do another one. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah. oh, my goodness sakes. Yeah. Okay, so I, I don't know what's going to happen with that, but we'll have to wait to see how this does when it comes out. Do you think this might actually bring you to a whole new wider audience, a whole new demographic of, of listeners? It, it could. It could. And, and that would be really special as well. You know, I mean, I, uh, hey, years ago, you know, we and a few other bands started, you know, what was called country rock, you know, California country rock. And, yeah. and uh, we were pioneers in, in that field. It, um, you know, it, it could open the door. Poco really didn't have or the, the, uh, the recognition maybe that I feel that it could have or should have, but somebody had to pioneer the, you know, turn up the rough soil, you know, and, and pave the yeah. way for the Eagles. <laughs> well, yes. I mean, people forget the huge influence that Poco had on the Eagles. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I was, we were a farm team for their bass players. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, exactly, Randy, exactly. Randy and Timothy, you know. <laughs> but didn't they have the most beautiful vocals? Oh, yes. And Timothy is on my new project. He's on In the Country with me. Yeah, he and my daughter uh, sang on, I think, uh, four songs together. So um, they, they're... Uh -huh. uh, yeah, so it's good. Yeah. Yeah. Because you did the back porch sessions with Randy as well, didn't you? Yeah, Randy came in and, and we've got, um, you know, we're hoping to do another one of those here real soon and right. get that out. And, and but, it, you know, with the, with the way we can do things today, it was really sweet to be able to have Randy. You know, I hadn't when we recorded the uh, Troubadour session, uh, when I recorded the Deliverin album, mm. I had not really seen Randy. In, uh, in I don't know how many years, it'd been, it'd been many, many years. And it was so nice to see him come and also to have Timothy there at the same time. So all three of us were together in, in one place at the same time. And so um, it, it, it was really sweet. Yeah, but to have Randy uh, participate on, on that, um, you know, was, was really special. And he really was thankful that he was asked and and I'm, I'm really glad that, that we asked him to be a part of it you know I think people enjoyed being able to just see him for a minute absolutely I mean you once said that Poco was the musical dream and passion of your life yeah well and it was I mean you know Springfield was certainly a uh, I mean, that was the launching pad for sure. And, and it gave me many, many opportunities. I'm very thankful for that and, and all. But then, you know, Poco, I really feel was my band. 
Um, and, you know, until I left after six years when I got so disheartened that um, it just didn't seem like, I, you know, at first it's all about the music and then all of a sudden you get caught up in this other stuff. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you know, it's okay. We need a hit record and we just couldn't seem to break that AM um, barrier, you know? And mm -hmm. so that's where I, I just said, I gotta, I gotta leave. But I really feel, you know, the Poco was my band. Uh, I think Rusty Young did a, a great job in, in carrying on the legacy of Poco for all these years, you know, until he uh, passed away just a few months ago. Yeah. You didn't know, know about that initially, did you? About his passing? I didn't know. I mean, I knew about it. Um, a friend of mine who was a previous manager of mine called and I hadn't talked to him in a few in a few months and uh, you know, we're kind of joking around and he suddenly stopped and you haven't heard, have you? Has it heard what? About Rusty, oh, what about Rusty, you know? And he told me that he had passed away. And uh, so, I mean, I heard about it the very day that it happened and I called his wife that, uh, um, you know, that afternoon when I, when I heard about it. Uh, but no, it was, it was a complete shock to me. I mean, I, it, it was very sudden. Mary even told me that, you know, they had been out riding bikes, you know, the Sunday before and, and then the Tuesday, the night before he passed away, they were talking about all the things they were going to do in their garden and everything was, it was kind of like with my dad. My dad died suddenly. We had wrestled around. He died when I was uh, 13 years old. And we had been wrestling around and playing and, and just having a good time that night. And bingo, I remember the ambulance coming in the morning. He had an aortic aneurysm and that was it, you know. Um, and But Rusty, yeah, Rusty had a, a sudden heart attack and that was it one day, yeah. It never gets any easier. No. <laughs> As you get older and you see your close friends passing to, to the yeah. other side, yeah. do you find you call on your faith more at times like that? Oh, absolutely. And it, it, it really puts a, um, you know, an exclamation point on my faith. And I'm so, uh, so thankful and so happy of the relationship that I have with Jesus Christ, because I mean, the Bible tells me that there is, you know, this isn't the end of the line. You know, this is, this is, this is just, we're just passing through and death seems to be the, 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 the door. Death is an exodus that leads through the door you know, into, uh, into, into eternity with him. And so, um, but it makes, yes, it does make you think about it more, and especially more and more as you get older. And uh, then you have people, you know, that pass that are so much younger than you. And it's like, yeah. that makes you, yeah. it, it makes you stop and think life is very short. Uh, who are the Beatles? Somebody sing the song like life is very short. And <laughs> it yeah. is, it's very short. <laughs> Do you believe, uh, in the afterlife yeah you do yeah i do believe that there is life after after here we're just passing through um you know the the bible makes it very very clear um that this is not the end of the line and so my hope is to spend an eternity with him and and you know from what i've read in the scripture you know i mean it, it seems Either those guys were deceived like nobody else, and Jesus was the biggest liar, lunatic, uh, crazy man that ever walked on the face of the earth, or he was who he said he was, Lord and Savior. You felt that he has been with you through all of your life, and that a lot of the decisions that you make and the paths that you take are predetermined, and you're guided down those particular routes? Well, I, I, I certainly believe that, that he, I mean, 
he lets us make our decisions. He's, I mean, we're not running around as little, you know, puppets that he just kind of maneuvers. So we make a decision, but he can guide us through if we make a wrong decision and we have entrusted our life to him who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, you know, um, and I am the good shepherd, follow me. Then, you know, he can, he can also get us to, 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 to get back on site as long as like uh, the, the psalmist David said, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I won't be moved. And, and I mean, truthfully, I, sh I shouldn't be here. Uh, I can remember a time when uh, Poco came to Europe and, and we, we, we played in England, we played in France, but I remember I should never have made it out of France. I mean, I was, I was a complete, uh, um, it was, it, I was a mess at that time. And um, drugs and alcohol and all that stuff could have just, I mean, it could have been over like that. You know, I mean, one, <laughs> I, I, I remember one night in, we were in the Ritz Hotel in Paris, France. And I can remember, looking back on it now that I should not have even woken up that morning. I shouldn't, I mean, it was like we had some friends from uh, Los Angeles who were uh, living in Paris at the time. And, and I remember, uh, I remember, <laughs> God, I, did. I, I, I remember the room service guy coming up after almost an, an all night, um, you know, fling and walking in with this tray of, of champagne and, and just turning right around and walking right out. Not even, I mean, it was bizarre. Tom Fogarty was with us then at that time. And it, it was, a, it was a crazy night. That was one night that I can significantly remember that I, I shouldn't have even gotten up that morning. It could have been over. And I, I think, but I didn't even know the Lord at that time. So yes, there, there was a time when I didn't even know him that he was still watching over me and guiding me. And um, it was, uh, uh, I mean, before Nancy and I had our, our real uh, terrible, uh, well, I shouldn't take terrible because it was one of the most difficult times of my life when we separated for those seven months. I wouldn't trade them for anything now no. because I learned so much through it but it was one of the most heart crushing times in my entire life you know the whole carpet was pulled out from under me and and it was uh, it was devastating but as i look back on it now it helped me to form that that relationship that i have with the lord where he said i i have to be first your wife and family you know they come in second and then this other career stuff you know that seek ye first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and all these other things will follow in line and so yeah when you've clearly been so close to the edge, mm -hmm. how do you pull yourself back? Well, um, obviously, I have to believe that, uh, you know, with, with the, there's, that, there, there's that hand that is grabbing you, that, that invisible hand, that hand of the Lord, and he's like holding you because there's twice. It happened once in Paris and once when it, it caused Nancy's and my relationship to be, um, you know, like, who cares you know you know and he pulled me back he pulled me back from that he, i mean i i woke up one morning and it was like this isn't good now i don't know what happened it's like when it's like when someone uh, it's like when someone re receives christ as their lord and savior you know 
it, it's for some people it's like a light switch that you know just flips on and off well for me you know it was that after i don't know umpteen number of times that al perkins who was in Souther hill and fure band you know kept saying you want to pray with me or you want to pray no 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 and then one day i was over we, we were rehearsing for a tour in aspen and i knew when al called i was gonna i was gonna accept and re receive Christ that night by saying the prayer. I don't know. I can't get. I can't put those things in a in a in a platform where people can understand. A person has to take that step of faith to understand really what a Christian really is speaking about. It, I I don't know any other way to say it. You know, I can tell you a thousand ways and a thousand times. Here's what happened to me. This is what happened to me. But tell it happens to you. You know, it, it's it's it, that's why I guess they call it a personal relationship. That and, is very and, interesting what you're saying. You know, well, I've heard people talk talk like this before, yeah. um, but it's almost like this shaft of light, as you say, comes down. Well, and in a way it is. You know, I mean, back in the 60s, we tried and did everything. I mean, we tried every drug there was to try, and we went to every religious experience we could try, and we did this and we did that. And then all of a sudden... Um, it just something was different mm. something was different and when you realize the one who said i am the way that not one of the ways not part of the way but i am the way the truth and the life yeah. it makes a difference there was there's authority with that um that uh fact is there's a after um Jesus had given what was the Sermon on the Mount. Um, there's a scripture that says that he spoke with authority different than the rabbis had spoken. And it, it's like it, 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 it confounded people in their heart. And he did. He spoke with authority. When the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart, Louise, it's again, I can't, I, I, I can't tell you. What's different, you just know. You know because you know. There's a no from experience, and then there's a, a no because you just know it. Incredible, you know, uh, creation. <laughs> yeah, it, it's more than just a gut instinct, which we all go by. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because I tried many gut instincts early on, you know, and they led me, they led me nowhere. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I think that's what amazes a lot of people, you know, uh, that I've known along the way and friends that I've known, you know, like I said, we've tried, we did, we experimented with everything under the sun. And here I am, like 40 years later, this hadn't wavered a bit. <laughs> That's that's fascinating. Do you often have to pinch yourself at times and think how far you have traveled from the boy who wanted to be a folk singer <laughs> and have fun making music? And you're clearly having a lot of fun now. What advice would you be giving to the to, to the young boy who had all these ideas of fame and fortune? You know, I had such a different different life. Um, I didn't plan. I didn't plan it until I was in college. And the only thing I planned was I wanted to go to New York to be a folk singer. That was it. I, I loved music that much. And Ricky Nelson had that other country rock hillbilly uh, uh, stuff like Buddy Holly and Carl Perkins and Gene Vincent and those guys had on me and all. But, you know, it, it wasn't, believe me, if somebody would have told me at one point in my career, when Al Perkins finally led me to the Lord, Souther Human Fure, you know, how in the world did that happen? I had a great thing going with Poco. 
you know, and, and it was my own, I had come to a place where I felt, man, I've, I'm at the end of the line. I don't know what else to do. If good feeling to know was not a hit record, I don't know what else, you know, I can do to make a hit record. And so I called David Geffen and Geffen says, well, hey, you know what? Um, who had been obviously instrumental in helping the careers of Jackson Brown and the Eagles and Linda Ronstadt and on and on. And, um, uh, you, you know, he said, here, I, let's get together with J.D. Souther and, and Chris Hillman. Uh, you know, Chris and, you know, Jay, and we'll, we'll just do another super group. And it's like, I, I'm coming from this thing where I've been six years, you know, with a band that I felt like was really pioneering and people were lined up around the block when we got done at the Troubadour and, and all, but we couldn't get that in. And it's like, I'm, I'm said, that's all it's going to take. You know, we'll do another Crosby, Stills and Nash. How do you do another Crosby, Stills and Nash? You know, what looks good on paper sometimes doesn't really compute and, and translate into, into reality. David and Graham and, and, and Stephen got together because they just hung out at a house and played together and had fun and they enjoyed each other as friends. Chris and JD and I knew each other, but we didn't know anything about putting a, a band together as, as a, a, a entity. So I'm not planning any of these things. And who, Chris Hillman said, we got to get Al Perkins in the band. I said, no. I don't want Al Perkins in the band. Why didn't I want Al Perkins in the band? Al Perkins had a fish symbol on his guitar that said, Jesus is Lord. And I told Chris, you know what? This guy's going to stop us from being rock and roll success. You know, now Al could have been anything. He could have been a, a, an alcoholic. He could have been a womanizer. He could have been a drug addict. He could have been anything. He was a Christian. I, do, I wasn't a Christian, but what was it about that sticker on his guitar that he probably had covered over with his arm anyway, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, what was that going to do to stop? How did all of this get so planned and so organized? I didn't plan it. And here I am in Southern Puree telling Chris, no, I don't want Al in the band. And, you know, Al eventually becoming a part of, of our band, a big part of the band, and then a big part of my life. Louise, I didn't, what I'm trying to tell you is I didn't plan any of this. You know, just if somebody would have told me, you know, Richie, one day you're going to be a Christian. Now, some people think, you know, the, 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 please excuse my expression. Well, if you're born in America, you're a Christian. <laughs> you know, well, that's, that's a bunch of hoopla, you know. If somebody would have told me, you, you know, you're going to be a Christian. Well, I, I went to church until I was 13 years old and my, my dad died and things changed in our life, you know. And, and, and Or, Richie, you're going to be a pastor. I'd have looked at them and I said, you are wacko, you know? And here it was, man, Buffalo Springfield, Poco, Souther Hemifure, and then bingo, I meet the Lord. Yeah. With the guy that I said, I don't want in the band. I was mean to Al. I was rude to Al in the band. I did everything I could to like, this guy's going to be the, he's going to be the block that stops us from all the rock and roll success that I wanted this time. Little did I know it wasn't rock and roll success that I was looking for. I was looking for a relation, not only with my wife, but one with the Lord. And I didn't even know it. I didn't even know it. So it wasn't, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't, I, much of my life has not been planned. Well, nothing is ever random. No, I know. <laughs> Everything happens for a reason. People yeah. come into your lives for a reason, and we might not Absolutely. know it at the time. Absolutely.
it's all worked out, you know, I, I, and I, and I look back and, and, you know, there was, there was a time when, when I left Poco and I said, you know, well, I was looking at Steven Stills and Neil Young. And, and then I was looking at, uh, at Jimmy Messina and I was looking at Randy Meisner and I was saying, gosh, man, these guys are going on to rock and roll success. And what about me? I'm just as talented. This is my ego talking. I'm just as talented as they are, aren't I? You know, and <laughs> Those guys are real talented guys. I'm not taking anything from them, but that was my perspective at that time. And, um, and that's why I, that's why I left Poco. You know, I was so, I was so delusional and, and so caught up in the whole thing of rock and roll success that I was going to do just about anything, but little did I know that it really wasn't about rock and roll at all. It was about my family. Yeah. It was about my family. That's I didn't have a clue. Yeah. Found out one day. Yes. Here we are 54 years later. <laughs> 54 years. Wow. That's <laughs> wonderful. But hasn't she, she been the rock in your life? Oh boy. Absolutely. And sometimes I'm, I mean, I, I'm, I'm very thankful and I say, goodness, how, how could you put up with me all these years? <laughs> <laughs> I the, trail we, the road we've been on, it's been, it's been, it's been great though. It's yeah. been, yeah. You know, you go over humps and you'll have obstacles to, to get through. But, you know, when you find your soulmate, yeah. you, know, you, you, you yeah. stick with it. Everything falls into place. And no matter what Absolutely. obstacles are thrown your way, you work through it together. Absolutely. And we, ha we have, and, you know, we've been blessed with four daughters and three great son-in-laws, 13 grandchildren. And uh, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's like, that's what life yeah. It's really all about. It's what yeah. it's all about. I mean, I, I'm, I'm blessed that I've been able to make music. I'm blessed that I, you know, have friends that have, that have made, you know, music and, and cause of creative, you know, that little creative thing in you, you know, and, and, and meet like-minded people and, and to have been able to have, have actually, um, uh, in, in, in a way started. And, and, and you know what, from the, from the rock and roll side, Poco, along with, along with the birds and along with, uh, um, you know, maybe the flying burrito brothers, you know, started this genre way back in, in the, in the very late sixties, uh, of country rock. But, you know, like some of the people I mentioned before, you know, Buddy Holly, Carl Perkins, Gene Vincent, those guys, they were doing it. They, they, it was called rockabilly at that time, but it was yeah. really what, you know, it was, it was a country rock sound, you know? Mm. And uh, so we were just picking up where maybe they left off and, and started this and to, to have been a part of that, yeah. to be a part of that American musical history that probably helped produce one of the greatest and, and most recognized bands in the entire world with the Eagles. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty cool little thing. Mm. I don't think about it a lot, but it's, it's, uh, it's pretty cool to know that you were a part of that historical journey. Do you think it's important to you that your role as a pioneer in that era is recognized? Yes, and, and I do feel that Poco has been dissed, and I don't know why. I, I mean, even in the Ken Burns film on country music and country rock music and all, uh, on the Jacob Dylan, uh, Laurel Canyon, you know, my, my address was 2300 Laurel Canyon Boulevard. How much more can you be in Laurel Canyon? And, and, you know, Poco was pretty much dissed. And, you know, Louise, I don't know why. I don't know why. I mean, we know what we did. And sometimes that's the way it turns out. You know, you, you, 
um, you know, I, I can look back and you can talk to, I mean, I remember going to a concert of the Eagles here in Denver and I remember Glenn Fry, you know, mentioning, and I was in the audience, you know, his, the influence that uh, not only Buffalo Springfield, but Poco had on him. Glenn used to come and sit in my living room in Laurel Canyon Boulevard uh, and listen to me rehearse Poco. And so, I, I mean, there, there was an influence there. We, we, we know what we've done, but why Poco is so, I don't know, dissed, I'll have to, I don't know any other word to say. I don't know, but you know what? It's okay. It's okay. Yeah. I, I'm not going to let it drive me. And I mean, not today anyway. No. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was, it was an interesting community. And uh, again, I, I don't know what went on in Laurel Canyon before, uh, you know, before the sixties and, 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 you know, um, the, the, the music scene there uh, arrived. I don't, I don't know what kind of, uh, I, I, I don't know what Laurel Canyon was like, but I know in the early days of us living there, it was just like, hey, look, I'm down at the, at the corner market. There's Mark Volman over there. Hi, Mark, how you doing? You know, or there's uh, Mickey Dolan. Hey, Mickey, what's going on? And, you know, and everybody was just like, it was, it was interesting, but there was a lot of craziness behind the scenes too. Have you seen Rocket Man? Have you seen Elton? I did. I did. Yeah. And I, I've met Elton. And I, I really, really liked him. And, you know, Elton John opened up for Poco at one time. Really? <laughs> he walked, Get out of it. He, he opened up at a university in Pennsylvania on his first American tour for Poco. I mean, yeah. And, you know, I <clears throat> hadn't seen him in, in quite a while and for many, 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 many years. And uh, when we did, when, uh, when Neil asked Stephen and me if we'd like to do the bridge school, well, of course, he was there. And uh, I said, I would really like to go and, and meet him, although I had met him probably earlier on. Oh, and wow. I mean, years and years and years ago. And um, uh, so he had his little dressing room over here and we had ours over here. And, uh, and, and I wandered over there and I was kind of like, he was talking to somebody in his dressing room and I, I, I kind of st stood in the door for a second and he stopped what he was doing. And he's, oh, Richie Pure, come in here. And I was like very touched. Now he knew who was in Buffalo Springfield at this time, you know? And, and also, I don't think, I mean, if I would have seen him at, at the corner of Starbucks, I don't think it would have happened that way. Cause I can get, I can go places today where people, you know, some people I could tell, Okay, I've seen you. I know you. I can't put my finger on it right now, but but of course. But when I walked in to his room, he was the most open and cordial and and just sweet guy, and just chit chatted and talked for I don't know. We must have talked for ten minutes, you know, and it was yeah. really nice. But the movie, the the movie is just it's like the the movie of. Um, uh, I can't remember the guy's name in Queen, uh, Mercury. Uh, Freddie oh, Freddie Mercury. Mercury. Oh, and just the, the. Yeah, yeah. Your documentary, how far advanced are you on it? Pretty, uh, it, it, it's coming along pretty well. Mm -hmm. um, we, we have a few more interviews. We're trying to line one up now. I got in touch with uh, one of my former early, early, early bandmates, and uh, he said, I'm in. Because <laughs> I hadn't really spoken to him, but I have to get a hold of uh, uh, one more guy to make it really complete, right. and um, and, th and that'll be that'll be really special. But we've got most of the the live interviews. When I was recording the record for uh, with Val in 2019, we had a lot of people come through uh, the studio that they did. They were doing interviews upstairs while we were recording downstairs at Blackbird, 
And um, uh, so there's a lot of interviews and I think, you know, the, there's a lot of editing that's going on right now. So there's just a few more interviews that they, that, that they would like to have. It could be finished and completed now, but there are a few that would make it kind of like, well, this is not complete yet until we get these interviews. And so pr pretty much all done. And, and uh, the la latter part of this year, it's going to be uh, the rest of, you know, just the editing and compilation of everything. If you're going to do it, you've got to do it right. Absolutely. You yeah. can't leave and, anything and unturned and go, well, we've gone, but we haven't got X. But Yeah. And, and you know, Louise, there, there's, there's probably going to be some people that there weren't live interviews with, and it's going to be very disappointing to me that at this day and age in our life and in our career and what's going on, that some of these people, you know, would have said, nah, I don't want to do this, you know. And, you know, there's nothing I can do about it. No, I think you know my stand on 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 life and my worldview. Uh, you know, not that I you know would have. Um, I, I don't know. I think a lot of people. I, I'm I'm over here someplace, and a lot of people do not have the same worldview that I have. You know, I'm conservative. I'm conservative in my politics. I'm conservative in my religion and relationship. I'm mm -hmm. I'm 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 not. You know what is the more popular way to go. And I think that's kind of like uh, throwing a roadblock in a lot of people's uh, lives. Now, some, you know, we're, we're past it. And what we do is we see each other for who we are and what we've contributed. Like my, with Timothy, you know, Timothy yeah. and I, you know, I wouldn't say we're, we're, we're close on very much, you know, except our relationship with music and with one another. And that supersedes all this other stuff that I might think one way about this and he might think that way about that. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's just it, and it should be okay. Or, you know, if like how many times in, in the past, um, you know, did Neil come and go in the Springfield and it's like, well, man, I'm never going to chat, talk with that guy again, you know, I mean, for crying out loud, but that's not the way it is, you know? And, and when we, when we see each other and, and, and when we, you know, communicate, it's like we communicate on a level that's so far removed from all this other stuff because we don't think alike on a lot of issues but yet nevertheless there we are you know we yeah. can individual ideas you know and and oh and and we respect we have a common mutual respect but you know with him in uh, out of the band forget any of the other stuff that goes the, the other the, the politics the religion or any of that stuff you know i mean to say well that guy's a flake you know and say, well you know if somebody was upset with me when i left poco or whatever or did this or that and the other you know i can't do anything about it i can't say it was the right move the wrong move what move it was what happened at that time that led me to a very significant crisis and point in my life that I needed to have when I met Christ. There was a destiny involved there. <laughs> it is. I was, you took the words out of my mouth. It, it is a destiny, and it is your yeah. destiny to be doing what you're doing now. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that, 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 I, that I dislike this person or dislike... I mean, it's like, why, why, why are you making it personal like that? You know? Because there are some people that have made it personal. And, and it really had nothing to do with them. That's them thinking too highly. You know, the scripture says, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought, you know? And I feel like, you know, that we have people that they hold on to these things for I don't know how many years. It's eating them up. It's eating them up. But you were mentioning about, you know, the, the bond that you have had with Neil and with mm -hmm. Stephen and everyone else that, you, that you've worked with. Can we just come full circle here and talk about 
your relationship with David and where you rate his voice? Well, he had a great platform and a great gift and he, he used it. He was, he, he was, he was a, um, a, a wonderful singer. I, I, I won't say that I identified exactly with his, his, um, uh, his, his singing, how do I want to say this and say it in the right way? I'm not even sure how to say it. I mean, he was, he came from he came from a whole different world uh, of 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 where his his musical talent developed from, right. you know. And and mine came from a whole. I, I I was listening to I was listening to Carl Perkins and Buddy Holly and 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 Gene Vincent and those hillbillies, you know. And mm-hmm. and he came from a whole different style. So he had a different style that he was incorporating. It's not whether it was good bad indifferent or whatever it was just it was it was his it was different you know there was nothing certainly about his singing quality or singing style i would say oh brother ned not that at all you know i mean it was like it was it was just different i felt that way about john denver mm-hmm. and today i listen to his music and it's like actually we did one of his songs on in the country um we did country roads uh, before that, uh, he was inducted. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm getting off of David here, okay. but going to John. But just it, it has, you know, to do with I, I wasn't a big John Denver fan back in the day. And later on, when he was inducted into the Colorado Music Hall of Fame, uh, my daughter and, and my uh, my daughter, Jesse, and, 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 and my friend Scott were asked to, to do a song at the induction. And so we did Wild Montana Skies. And it was then that I was listening to so many of his of his songs. And he was quite a quite a talented guy, man. I remember auditioning for a show back, for a television show back in New York that he auditioned, John Dusseldorf, uh, <laughs> he auditioned for it at the, at, at the same time. It never got off the ground. I think it was a takeoff on the monkeys or something, but it never, it never, it never got off the ground. But he came from a different place. And it's like what you see at one time is like, well, that's, that's okay. But it's not my cup of tea. But then you listen to it later on in life and you say, wow, man, this, you really had something. And so yeah. maybe I can say the same thing about David. Because he took your song for Someone I Love, which, yeah. you, wrote, which you wrote for Nancy and reworked it for, <clears throat> for Love yeah. and Bloom. But when we last spoke, you said you weren't aware that he'd actually... I mean, to me, I look at it today as what a compliment. That right. that song had such an impact on his life, you know, that he would like take a piece of it and, you know, write his, write his own version of it and... <laughs> It's, I'm, I'm not, well, boy, I better look into this publishing deal and find out. I, I, it's like, you know, I, I was, it, it's like quite a, quite an interesting love and bloom. And yeah, mine was, mine was a prophecy song about Nancy and me getting back together, you know, who, at, during that whole period of time when we were separated. And I wrote it before any of this ever came down, ever happened. And, um, and so David, um, he took that. I, I, I would like to have had an opportunity to have uh, asked him or talked to him about it, you know, but I, I don't remember, you know, I guess. Did you like what he did with the reworking? Yeah, he had, yeah. And, and, and he didn't go away from, you know, the, well, love is just in bloom. Yeah, I mean, he kept that, you know, he kept the, the, the heart of the song right there. And he wrote his, his other part to it, you know. And right. I'm not sure what he was thinking at the time that he wrote his part. But my part was very significant because it was a song that I, that I wrote before Nancy and I, before I had, 
before we ever, you know, uh, went through what we went through yeah. together in the springtime, back in the, <laughs> maybe just a little more time when the winter snows melt in the spring and who knows, you know? Yeah. And, oh, and that's when it, They're beautiful yeah. lyrics. They're beautiful. So tell me, how did he come to work uh, with you on your album, Dance a Little Light? Well, it was through our friendship, you know, we were just doing some, some, we were doing background vocals and I, I can't remember if he actually came into the studio while any of the other tracks were coming down, but, but when it came time to put, um, you know, background voices on, uh, you know, I got to get, he and Timothy and, and a few other people came in, you know, and, and uh, we had them singing together and, and it was, I mean, so obviously his voice, you know, was something that I said, this will fit in our music, you know, mm. and so, um, you know, and, and again, that it was during that time around 78, 77, 78 mm. in that era, you know, that that's when we were spending time together. And so, you know, um, for me, it was quite an honor to have David Cassidy on my record, you know, because I mean, here, who am I, man? I'm just still trying to put out some little old songs and this and that and the other. And here I've got this, this recognizable, you know, um, but I mean, I, people always ask, how in the world did that ever come about? And it's like, it came about by friendship. You know, we we're friends. Yes. And, and, and we, we, you know, we interacted with one another. We talked to one another. It wasn't like I... Well, let's see, uh, my manager, will you call David Cassidy's manager and see if I can get him to come over and sing on a song of, you know, I mean, <laughs> um, it wasn't like that. It was like we were buddies. We were friends for that little window of time. Hmm. And I'm very, again, very thankful that, um, that we had that, that we had that time, you know. What, what sort of things did you do together? We hung out a lot and we drank a lot of beer. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> but, you know, we, we, we didn't necessarily go to a lot of places. We probably went out to dinner together on, on several occasions. I can't remember exactly when or where, but, you know, a lot of it because he couldn't go many places. He couldn't or he was a mob. I mean, he was mobbed. And so we would spend a lot of time at his house. We would spend a lot of time just tinking around or just talking or just, just, Louise, we just hung out. We just yeah. hung out. He saw me as someone that was not threatening to him. I mean, I didn't want anything from him. I wasn't trying to, well, man, do you think, hey, man, I could go on tour with you or, you know, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't that kind of a relationship. It was just a, it was just a, a friend, a mutual friendship that respected one another. He respected what I had done and what I had accomplished, you know, through, uh, you know, my music with with Springfield and with Poco, you know, I mean, these were bands that he probably looked at and, and not probably, but he looked at and said, you know, those are the kind, of, that's the kind of stuff that I want to do. I want to have a creativity where I have the freedom. And so we were, you know, we, we were friends. We would sit around, we would talk. I can't tell you how deep or how intimate, but I mean, there was a lot of deep, intimate uh, conversations, you know, that we would mm -hmm. just have, that we, we were not, there was no threatening um, aspect, anything to our relation. We were just, we were friends. And that was what was cool about it. We were just yeah. friends. I like you and I'm happy that, you know, that we can be, that we can be friends. You said that you found him troubled. In what way? Well, again, he was, it was during that striving time when he wanted to break away from being this idol, you know, this teen boppy idol where he wanted 
a mature respect coming to him. And so there was his trouble. But then later on, obviously in life, you know, when, um, you know, I like everybody else would read the stories, you know, where he would be struggling with his alcohol or with something, you know, that would, uh, that would just be devastating to him and finally caught up to him. Um, and, and so, because uh, I never, I, I guess, you know, he never really got to the point that he wanted to go and where he just could be accepted for who I am. I'm just David. I'm David. I'm just David Cassidy. And, and you know what, I've, I've got this little bag of talent here and I love to share it with you and, and all that, but he never got, he never got to see it. I think in the way to where, where he felt, this is really me. This is really me. I was this manufactured little thing over here, you know, and, and people grabbed onto that and, and, Bless their heart, because I mean, so many people loved him for that. But you know, he was more than that. He was more than that, and that's what he—that's where he was troubled, in that he could never really break out of that mold. You could see his frustration, and you probably could share his frustration when your album wasn't given the promotions and the airplay it deserved. And the same thing happened with a lot of his solo work high they climb album home is where the heart is and then in in 1990 when the record company went bust every time he seemed to go down a new path there was like an obstacle and you've got to be a very strong character to break through that i certainly relate to that um uh, even in writing the song we were the dreamers uh, where I, I, I mentioned, you know, it just seemed like our time and every different moment just seemed like the time and it never happened or the time and it never good feeling to know, oh, this is a hit. Everybody believed in their mind that this was the hit. And, you know, when, when things like that don't happen, you know, they can have an adverse effect, you know, and um, uh, it, it can be devastating to us, you know, and, and yeah, my life has been, you know, crazy. Like, like I said, you know, before looking at different people that I've played with, you know, well, what about me? You know, I mean, and you know, you just, you put it out there and you, when you pour your heart of creativity into something and then it's just like, eh, so what, you know, by the, by the mass club, you know, it, it can, it can weigh on you, you know, and like you said, you got to have a strong character. And I, you know, I, I don't want to say I've had a strong character, but if you read my book, picking up the pieces, even I, the have. Comments, I have a copy sitting over here. Uh, <laughs> people would say, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a, it, it's a constant, you get to this point and then boom, you're not, and you get to this point and boom, you're not, and it's like, you know, you just never quite, Never quite happened, but you know what, Louise? I wouldn't trade my life for anything or anyone's musical success or career or hits or anything to what I have now. Wow. Ever, ever, ever. On the scale, they wouldn't even it wouldn't even budget. You know, it w- people can can learn a lot from the experience that you've had, finding Christ and getting the balance absolutely right in your life with your family and your music. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I, I hope um, I hope the documentary helps to uh, people because the documentary isn't like this old pat on the back. You need a nice guy, this guy. I mean, it's like people that have issues or whatever. They've been able to do their interviews and and, yeah. and say, you know, whatever. It's a, it's an open it's an open book. That's who I am. You know, yeah. I'm an open book. Yeah. What you see is what you get. David did do a live recording of For, for What It's Worth. Now, I've heard that. I know I've heard it. I haven't heard it recently, but yeah. uh, I know I've heard it. 
I just wondered what your thoughts were on his interpretation of such a classic song. Well, I'm sure it was better than Poison. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, they, uh, they, they recorded it too, you know, it's, it's amazing. Nice. Really? Even, every time you turn around, there's someone else. I mean, he just did a thing, I think, for the Americana Musical or for some, oh, really? I, I don't know what music award, just recently, and somebody just, it's like, oh my Oh God! Right. Oh, but I mean, he's had he's had a lot of covers, and uh, so David is just uh, he just fits into the one of the one of the many who have enjoyed that song over the. You know, when I heard that song, I thought to myself, "Oh man, that's just a nice little folk song." <laughs> it'll, never, it'll it'll never. It, we we were sitting in his in his house, and Ahmet Erdogan had come out to uh, uh, hear some of the music that we had for a upcoming uh, album because the first album, Atlantic. I don't know how they missed it because Ahmet was sharper than that. To, to try to release nowadays, Clancy can't even sing over. Do I have to come right out and say it? To me, that was a mistake, you know, and and all because I think do I have to come right out and say it had was much more accessible than nowadays. Clancy can't even sing, which was one of my favorite songs of Neil's. I've done it over and over, but um, we're sitting there and we're all <clears throat> playing these songs for Alan, and we pack up our guitars and oh, I've got one more. Stephen says for what it's worth, Ahmed heard it and he said, "We've got to record that now," and so we went into the studio right away and recorded it. They stopped pressing uh, the record as it was and they took one of Stephen's songs off called Baby Don't Scold Me and mm -hmm. put For What It's Worth on and did another release of the record. But yeah, it went right. I was into Bluebird and Rock and Roll Woman and Mr. Soul and all <laughs> And here's this little folk song. That's where I met Stephen back in New York as a folk singer. And he's, oh, here's this nice little folk song. You know, there's something happening here. And what it is ain't exactly clear. But but Ahmed heard it and he said that one's a hit. We got to do it. So this the title isn't even in the lyrics, is it? It isn't in the lyrics at all. No. Yeah. <laughs> do people still <clears throat> connect you with that song? Yeah, especially with some of the music that I've written today, like Don't Tread on Me and um, uh, and, and this New America, America song, they, you know, they, 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 they kind of get it confused as I'm taking a different perspective from it as if I wrote the song. But that, but for what it's worth, was all Stevens. And it had nothing to do with war. No. I mean, it did have to do with war, but it had to do with a different kind of war, domestic war down there on Crescent Heights and Laurel Canyon and Sunset Boulevard, where that club was. Uh, it didn't have anything to do with the Vietnam War, but it sure became a, it sure became a, um, uh, what a... Uh, an anthem for it. Yeah, man. Thank you for that word. Oh, <laughs> I just, I tell you, oh, to be young again, Louise. <laughs> oh, come on. I'm not that young, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been such a delight to, to catch up with you, Richie. Uh, well, thank you so much. Yeah. Well, it's really nice talking to you, meeting you in this way, and, and to have been a part of uh, uh, that really special book that you wrote on David's life. Well, Richie, I've enjoyed today immensely. Thank you so much, and um, we'll stay in touch. Wonderful. Okay. Thank you. Bye now. Bye-bye, Louise. See Bye. ya. Richie has released a new album, the 50th anniversary, Return to the Troubadour. You can visit Richie's website, richiepuree.com, for more details and upcoming tour dates. And why not read his autobiography, Picking Up the Pieces, and more about his friendship with David in my book, Cherish David Cassidy, A Legacy of Love, available through Amazon and all major bookstores online or order in store. 
If you have enjoyed today's show, you can catch up with all episodes on your preferred platform. Listen, post a review, subscribe for free, so you will be among the first to hear when new episodes are released. I want to thank Richie Furet for his generous time today, and we will connect again very soon.